We are starting a new study of a different book of the Bible. We're going to spend the next few months walking through the letter of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open it. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. And if you're using one of those black Bibles, it's going to be page 995. So I'll encourage you to go ahead and find your way there. After a few weeks, your Bible will start kind of naturally opening there, but you may have to find it today. It's often been said that the greatest missionary the world has ever known is the Apostle Paul. I think that's probably true. It's impossible to, to tell the story of the early church, of the growth of the church in the first century, without saying a lot about Paul. After Paul was saved and called by God, he gave the rest of his life to preaching gospel in hard places, to starting churches, to training leaders to care for those churches. He spent decades giving himself to the work of Christ and to the spread of the gospel. And he did it even when it was really hard. If you know the story of the Paul, then you know that he was constantly threatened, regularly beaten. He spent some time in jail. And it was all because he was faithful to preach Christ and him crucified. But even through all he faced, he didn't stop. For years, he went far and wide proclaiming the message of Christ that we are here celebrating today. It's a ministry that changed the world. And it's a ministry that ended with Paul giving his life for the message he proclaimed Paul was killed because he preached Christ, and people hated him for it. But before he was killed, for years, Paul had been preparing a man to carry on his work. This man's name was Timothy. Timothy was younger than Paul. They had met in Timothy's hometown of Lystra. Paul had come there to, to preach, and he met Timothy, and you can go and read Acts 16, when Paul meets Timothy, and then he, he invites him to come with him and to, to travel with him, to proclaim Christ with him. And they spent probably about 15 years together. In those years, Timothy was there for a lot of the things I described. He was beaten, arrested, and suffered with Paul. There came a time after they had traveled around and done ministry together that Paul gave Timothy a new assignment. There was a town called Ephesus. Maybe you've read the book of Ephesians in the Bible. That's a letter written to the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus needed a pastor. And so Paul sent his best man. He sent his man, Timothy, to go and to pastor that church. So Paul continues traveling. Timothy's serving this church in Ephesus. And if you know the, the, the letter of 1 Timothy, that was a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy early in his pastorate there in Ephesus, giving him instructions about how to care for the church and how to lead it in a way that's pleasing to God. A few years later, Paul writes another letter. There was probably others that we don't have, but God inspired a second letter, what we call 2 Timothy. And there are some similarities between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, because they're both written by Paul. They're both written to Timothy as he's pastoring this church. 
And so your homework this week, you go back to go back and read 1 Timothy. And, and you'll find that there are some similarities between the two, but there are some distinct differences. 2 Timothy is far more personal than 1 Timothy, if I said that right. The second one is more personal than the first one. And the second one feels more urgent than the first. And here's why. As Paul writes this second letter to Timothy, he's writing from a Roman prison. And Paul knows this isn't just another stent in a Roman jail. He knows that he is in his final days. He knows that very soon the Romans will come and take him from his dungeon and kill him. It's from that place and in that time of life when Paul writes this letter to his friend in the gospel. It's the final letter that Paul wrote that we have recorded in the New Testament. A lot of people refer to it as Paul's last will and testament. And we know that he knows that his time is short because in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, we'll get there sometime. We're going to work our way through the book. Eventually, we'll get to chapter 4, but Paul says this, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is writing, knowing that his time is short. And even with that reality hanging over him, we're going to see that as Paul writes to Timothy, his focus is not necessarily on himself, but on Timothy and on the work that they've shared and that Timothy will continue. I want just think about what your letter would sound like if you're in jail and you're about to die and you have the chance to send one last letter. Mine would probably be really self-centered, right? Really self-focused. But here's the letter that Paul writes. He writes to Timothy and he's telling him this, press on, keep going, do the work. Now, let's think about Timothy's perspective. My mentor, who's doing these things that he's telling me now to do is in prison and he's about to be killed. He knows that his friend is about to lose his life. And yet Paul's not telling him to lay low. He's not telling him to be careful. He's telling him, press on. And Paul knows that it will be hard. He knows there will be opposition. He knows there will be struggles from without and from within the church, false teachers who will divide. Paul is sending Timothy to war. And he says, go and stand tall and fight. It's a letter from Paul to Timothy. But church, I think it's a, a letter and a word from God that we need to hear. And that we need to hear in this particular season of the life of our church. It's no secret for those of you who are well-connected to our church that we are entering a different kind of year for us. It will most likely be a year of transition, most likely a transition out of this building. It's very, very possible that this year will feel very different for us as a church than any year in, in recent years. But do you know what we need more than we need space, or financial provision. 
What we as the people of God in this local congregation need more than any of those things is to remain committed to the work of the gospel. This is the reality. There will be seasons in the life of us individually and as the church that will be hard. There will be times when it's easy to be distracted. And in fact, this is why Paul is writing to Timothy. You're in a hard season, a time when distractions may come. Stand firm. Push in. Be faithful. There are times when we need reminders that God's calling is worth difficulty. And it's worth sacrifice. It's worth you giving everything to. Living for Christ is worth whatever you may lose. In church, it's not enough that we've received the gospel. We're called to stand in the gospel, to stand for the gospel, and to be faithful to share this message of hope with others, no matter what challenges come. And this is the message that Paul writes to Timothy. It's a message, the, the title we gave is, it's a call to gospel faithfulness. To be steadfast, to guard, protect, and proclaim the truth. This is our call as well. This is our time. We've been entrusted with the gospel. The question is, will we shrink back or will we stand tall? So I'm asking God, and I would invite you to pray with me, not, even, not only this morning, but in the weeks to come that God would use our time in 2 Timothy to remind us of the beauty and the worth of the gospel. That we'd be reminded to treasure it, to enjoy it, to steward it, and to share it. And I'm praying that he'll use our time in this book of the Bible to reignite the fire within us for the calling that we've been given. With that said, I, I want to stop. I want to pray again for our time today and for the time we're going to have in Timothy over the next couple of months and ask God to be faithful to us as we consider his word. So would you join me in prayer again? Father, I want to thank you first for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and for the hope that we have in him. God, I thank you for the privilege of being called your child and for the honor of being trusted with the message of salvation. God, I thank you for Paul for his boldness, for his courage, for his example of faithfulness. And I thank you for this letter in which he calls Timothy and us by extension to be bold and to be courageous and to be faithful. And I do ask that you would use our time in this letter today and in the weeks to come to renew our gratitude for the gospel and to revive in us a passion for guarding it and protecting it and proclaiming it I pray that you would do your work in and through us and that it would be of eternal value to the praise of your glory. Be with us now as we consider your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to consider just the first part of the letter. If you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read the first seven verses for us, and then we're going to consider what God has to say to us through Paul. Hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you're familiar with the letters that Paul wrote, and if you don't know this, there's several of them in in the, the New Testament. Paul writes letters, and, and most of them begin a lot the same. First, he introduces himself. Then he introduces who he's writing to. There's usually a blessing of grace and, per, and mercy. And then there's usually this section where he gives thanks to God for the person or people that he's writing to. And, and we see that all here. All the ingredients are here for the start of a letter from Paul. And if we're not careful, we can just kind of rush through it as this is normal Paul letter stuff. And yet, the introduction is significant. And there are things that set this introduction apart from other introductions. As we go through the text this morning, we're going to break it into three parts. A pretty easy outline. We're going to look at this greeting. We're going to look at the gratitude that Paul has for Timothy. And then at the end, we're going to hear this charge, the beginning of the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy. Again, we, I think we just need to keep this in our minds as we're reading. Remember that Paul is in jail. These are the final days of his life. He's writing to a friend who he hopes will carry on the work after he's gone. It's a deeply personal and urgent letter. As Paul begins, he introduces himself, and I think it's significant to consider what he says about himself at this point in his life. Again, he's in prison. He's bound in chains. He's at the end of his race. And yet, Paul doesn't come out of the chute and introduce himself as a prisoner or a dying man. And he certainly, even at this most difficult point in his life, he's not questioning his calling or his purpose. No, as he introduces himself, he introduces himself as a man set apart by the will of God for the sake of the gospel. How would you feel if you had given everything for God? And now you're about to get your head chopped off. Would you be angry, bitter? That's not Paul's story. Paul is resilient. This is who I am. I'm an apostle of God. By his will. He 
says it's according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. If you know Paul's backstory, it's complicated. You may think, oh, I, I bet I know who Paul was. He was probably a good church guy, grew up in the church, loved God, his parents loved God, and this was his natural story. But no, for most of Paul's life, he hated Christ. In fact, he gave himself to persecuting Christians. And there was a day when he was going to do significant harm to people who loved Jesus, and yet God appeared to him. He had a radical conversion, and God set him apart to be a spokesman and a witness for the gospel. And after that day, Paul never turned back. He, he knew his purpose. His purpose was to live according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. And I love that phrase. Paul could have said, I'm an apostle of God by the will of God for the sake of the gospel. I've been saying that word a lot. Maybe you're here and you're, I don't know what gospel means. Well, he kind of explains it here. He says that his work is according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. When we say the gospel, we're talking about the good news. The good news that through Jesus Christ, we have the promise of eternal life. That we can be forgiven of our sins, made right with God, and given eternal life as opposed to eternal judgment, which is the end of all those who die apart from Christ. Paul has received that promise of life, and this is what directs his ministry. This is his aim, to be a proclaimer, a teacher of the promise of life that's in Jesus Christ. And even though that particular message has ended him up in jail, about to be killed, he says, this is my purpose. <laughs> the promise of life that's in Jesus Christ. Let me just remind you, church, that we are here today because of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I like most of you. Um, no, I would hang out with you guys. I do hang out with you guys. But we don't hang out mainly because of what we have in common or because we like each other. We are here most specifically because of our shared hope in the promise of Christ. We believe that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. This is what Paul believed, and it's a message that he never wavered in, even at the end of his life. And so we have Paul, an apostle of God, by the will of God, according to the promise that is in Jesus Christ. And he's writing to Timothy, who he identifies as his beloved son. And if you don't know the Bible, maybe you would assume this must be Timothy's dad. But they aren't related by blood. But over the years, Paul had become Timothy's father in the faith. From a human standpoint, it's Paul that called Timothy into ministry. And Paul had spent years pouring into him, teaching him, and preparing him for the work of God. And what we see here at the beginning of the letter is Paul expressing his love for Timothy. This isn't just a, a teacher-student relationship. It's just not, not just a, a mentor-mentee. It's not just co-workers. These men loved each other. Paul loved Timothy. And this is important because as we keep reading, Paul's going to say some really hard things to Timothy. I think it's important that Paul begins the letter by reminding Timothy, I love you. I think we all know it's true that it's easier to receive hard things if they're coming from someone who we know cares. And that foundation is being laid here at the beginning of the letter. 
It's from Paul. It's to Timothy. And then we have this really common um, prayer or blessing from Paul. He says in verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We get something like this at the beginning of most of Paul's letters. Often it's grace and peace. This time he says grace, mercy, and peace. And again, this is one of the things we hear it a lot. We read it a lot. We could just move past it. But I do think it's significant to recognize that this is a genuine prayer from Paul for Timothy. God, this is my beloved son. Would you give him grace? Would you be merciful to him? Would you give him peace? And that third one really stands out to me as I think about the context, where Timothy is and what's ahead. Paul knows, he knows how hard Timothy's road is going to be because he has walked that road. And yet, as he sits in that prison and writes this letter to his friend, he asks God, will you give him peace? I think of what Paul says in Philippians 4. Paul has been sustained by a peace that he says passes all understanding. And this is what he prays for his friend as he sends him out into the fight. God, would you give him peace? By the way, this is a good prayer for us to pray for one another. If you pray for me, would you pray for these kinds of things? That God would be gracious to me? That he would be merciful to me? That he would give me peace? These are good prayers for us to pray for one another. Paul prays this prayer for Timothy. And then we see that he goes on to, to thank God for Timothy. This section of gratitude, verse 3. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. I think I'm at, a, at risk of sounding like a broken record. <laughs> and I probably will for a few weeks. Paul's in prison, Okay. He has a lot to think about. And yet, even where he is, he says, I'm, Timothy, I'm thinking about you, and I'm, I'm praying for you all the time, constantly. Night and day, I'm praying for you. And I'm doing it with a clear conscience, which is, which is a way of saying, I'm being honest before God with my gratitude. I'm sincere. I am genuine. This isn't just blowing smoke. Timothy, I am praying for you constantly. And again, let's set this in the context of Paul is about to tell Timothy to do hard things. But before he does that, he says, I love you and I'm praying for you all the time. I'm, I'm praying for you that God would give you grace, that he would give you mercy, that he would give you peace. I mentioned earlier that Paul and Timothy have history. They've started church to, churches together. They have been run out of cities together. They have been beat up together. They have been arrested together. Do you have any friends that you've done all those things with? Don't raise your hand. They work together in the writing of Scripture. You probably don't have a friend like that. Several of Paul's letters, five of them, I think he includes Timothy. I, Paul, and Timothy, my brother, write to you. These guys have a history. They have a relationship that is deep and sweet. Paul says in verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you. 
I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. We don't know exactly what he's talking about when he says, I remember your tears. Here's my guess, is that Paul leaves Timothy in Ephesus, and they give each other one final hug, and they both know what they're walking into. There's no guarantee that they'll ever see each other again. Best guess is they've had about 15 years of work together. And now Timothy's staying in Ephesus, Paul's going on, and they hug, and I have to guess that even the manliest of man sheds a tear in that situation. And I think Paul's reminiscing about that day, and he says, Timothy, I I remember how hard it was for us to part ways. And man, I would love to see you. That would give me so much joy. There's a couple of reasons why I think this is important, that it's included here. If Paul wrote this letter, and he came right out of the gate and started telling Timothy all the things he needed to do and fix, that'd be hard to hear. Paul starts and he says, brother, you've got to know this. I love you. You are my joy, man. I would, I, I would be so happy to see you. Before Paul instructs and corrects and admonishes Timothy, he affirms his love. And church, I just want to encourage you to consider that this is the kind of relationship we should have with one another. If we're going to do life with one another, there will be times when there will need to be hard conversations. There will be times when we will need to correct one another, to warn one another, to to walk one another through a hard season. Maybe to tell one another the way you're going is not leading to anything good or God-honoring. We may need to have those conversations, and yet those conversations are so much easier when they're built on this foundation of love. And I think just as we hear of this relationship between Timothy and Paul, it should encourage us to want to have those kinds of relationships so we can relate to one another for the sake of the gospel the way Timothy and Paul do. Paul says he's thankful to God for Timothy's friendship, for his partnership in the gospel. And then here's something else he's thankful for. First, he's thankful for Timothy's friendship, his partnership. And then he says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. It's a faith that, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. There's a lot here. Let me say this first. Before Paul admonishes and encourages Timothy to be faithful, he wants him to know this. I believe that your faith is genuine. Someone comes and they're telling you a hard thing. You're like, hey, 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 I'm a Christian, right? I believe he's like, I know your faith is sincere, Timothy. Let's not question that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to do some things but I know that your faith is sincere. And he could have just said that, but we also get this really cool view into Timothy's past. Paul's remembering, he's reminiscing that Timothy's faith is a result of his grandmother and his mother. He has a godly heritage. It's a cool look into Timothy's past. Again, um, I'm just trying to keep track of your homework. Read 1 Timothy, okay? And then go and read Acts chapter 16. This is where Paul meets Timothy. He also meets Eunice and Lois, his, Timothy's mother and grandmother. 
And we, we learn in Acts 16 about that relationship. I'll just read just a couple of verses. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple there. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. The story goes on, but what we see here is that Timothy's mom was a Jew, and we're told not only she, but she's a believer in Jesus. His dad was a Greek, and we're not told anything about his faith. And we would have to think if they emphasize the faith of mom, but don't say anything about the faith of dad, we're guessing dad's not a believer in Christ. Maybe he's not even in the picture. We don't know that. What we do know is that Timothy's mom was godly, and she raised her son to know and love Christ. Paul says that here in our passage. We also get um, some more insight later in the letter. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you could probably look across the page, verse 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this. Paul's acknowledging Timothy's sincere faith, and he's also giving praise and honor to where it's due. Timothy's mom and grandmother, they're examples to us of the kinds of parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and friends that we should want to be for the children in our lives. We should stop here and acknowledge, especially those of you who are parents, we have a stewardship. God has given us children and if you're a Christian parent, you should be pointing your kids to Christ. And church, this is a stewardship we share. Now, the person who's most responsible for my kids is my wife and I. But I've partnered with you and I join with you because I trust that you're going to help me and you're going to come alongside and that our kids will know Christ better because of you. Because we're together and we're doing this alongside of one another. We should all want it to be said of us that we helped our kids to be acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make them wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I've heard this said a lot, and I read it this week from a pastor named Tony Morita, um, but he even says it's often been said. So I don't know who to give credit to. I'll give it to Tony just for today. He says... It's often been said <laughs> that we are one generation from, away from losing the gospel. If the gospel is assumed in one generation, it will be neglected, ignored, or abandoned in the next. We must keep guarding, suffering for, continuing in, and proclaiming the gospel. I think that's true. Friends, if you're just coming here week in week out and just assuming that your kids are going to know and love Christ, chances are they will be less committed than you are, apart from the sovereign grace of God. And if it continues that way, we are only one or two generations away from our faith being lost altogether. We have a responsibility. Now, to go back to the text, I'm thankful for ladies and dads, like Eunice and Lois, who have taken their stewardship seriously. 
Paul says, I, I know, Timothy, that you're in the faith because your mom and your grandma were faithful. And let me just say this before we go on. If you have a mom or a grandma or a dad or an uncle or a pastor who's been that for you, maybe take some time this afternoon to give them a call to thank them for their faithfulness to you. We all stand on the shoulders of those who have been faithful. And, and we want to be the same. We see that's the story of Timothy. He is where he is, a pastor in the city of Ephesus because of the faithfulness of his mom and his grandma. Now, that's the introduction. Now the sermon can begin, right? <laughs> We're almost there. But, but here's the thing, everything up to, it's been, Paul's introducing himself. He's expressing his love for Timothy. He's thanking God for Timothy. He's assuring Timothy, I love you. I know of your faith. I am thankful for your faith. But now in verse six, we get a transition where Paul starts to really get to the crux of why he's writing. He has some things that he, he needs to say to Timothy. And we'll start looking at it today. And then we're going to pick up and continue um, next week. But look at verse six. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. What's already clear is that Paul, he, he knows that Timothy's faith is genuine. But now he says that there's something in Timothy's life that needs to be stoked. He uses this imagery of a fire that's we assume, diminished or fading. It needs to be stoked or fanned. When we go camping, my boys always like to be the one who gets to stir the fire and to get it going again. I like to do it, so we're always fighting over it. But Paul's telling Timothy, fan that flame. But what, what's diminished? He has a sincere faith. What is it that needs to be stoked or fanned? Well, Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you and so we have some questions to answer. What is the gift of God that Paul's referring to? And what is it that caused it to be diminished or quenched in some way? There are some different ideas of what Paul's talking about here. And yet I think we get the answer there at the end of verse 6. He says, it's the gift of God that's in you because of the laying on of my hands. And what we know, both in the Old Testament and then carried on in the New Testament, is that often people would be set apart for the work of God. And as part of that process, other godly men would put, put their hands on them and pray for them as a way of setting them apart for the work of the gospel. And I believe when Timothy became the pastor at Ephesus, he was prayed for and set apart. So this is the gift that's in him, this gift of the gospel ministry to preach and to shepherd and to teach. We actually, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, you'll read this whenever you read 1 Timothy this week, Starting in verse 13, Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of scriptures. By the way, this is kind of why we do some of what we do on Sundays. He tells Timothy, this pastor, until I come, do these things. Read the Bible publicly. Exhort one another. Teach. And he says this, Don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So it's the same thing again, right? You've, you've been given this gift, and he says... 
Don't neglect it. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That last part was a good encouragement for me at 1130 last night when I was finishing writing this. Persist, right? Doing so, you will save yourself and others. Paul's reminding Timothy that he's been given this gift, this stewardship, and he tells him, fan it back into flame. Which brings us to the other question. Why was it fading? And I think we get the answer there in verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear. We don't know all the details, but it seems clear to me that what was causing Timothy to kind of pull back, to not be as fiery as he should have been, was, was caused by fear. And maybe it was a fear of suffering. Maybe it was a fear that he would have the same fate as Paul. Maybe it was a fear of others in the church. This is a common reality. Just a little peek behind the curtain for people that stand up and talk. Sometimes we, we can struggle with the fear of man, the desire to please people. And maybe Timothy wasn't saying hard things that needed to be said because of fear. Maybe he was afraid of false teachers who were gaining ground in the church. Maybe he was unsure or fearful about decisions that needed to be made for the health of the church. Some translations use the word timidity. He was timid. He was lacking boldness or courage. We don't know exactly where the fear comes from, but we're told that Paul encourages and says, Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear. I would want to to tell you this isn't just a, a message for pastors. We've all been given a gift. We've all been given a calling. We all have things that God has called us to. We've all been called to be faithful. We've already talked about how we raise our kids. We've been called to be faithful to the church. We've been called to be faithful to sharing the gospel with the world. And yet all of us at times, we can struggle with fear, right? Pulling back. Paul says to him, that spirit of fear doesn't come from God, but God has given you everything you need. We can keep reading. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Now, this verse got a lot of play back in 2020. Um, you know, churches started quarantining and things were going on, and we'd hear, we don't have a spirit of fear, so go to church, right? I think that was a, a bad use of this verse. But what he is saying is that for fear, we, we may fail to do the things that God has called us to. But know this, friend, know this, Christian, God has given you everything you need to be faithful to him. And he says specifically to Timothy, God has given you power, so be bold, be courageous. He's given you love, so serve those he's given you to serve. He's given you self-control or discipline, so do the work. We're told that if we're believers in Christ, when we come to him, he gives us the spirit of God to live in us, who strengthen us and equips us. We could spend time unpacking each of those things, but the clock tells me we are done. Let me just say this. It can be easy for us to make excuses 
to not do the things that God has called us to do. But this is Paul's admonition to Timothy and God's admonition to us. Don't let fear hold you back. Press into the provisions that God has given you through his spirit. Like I said at the beginning, Paul is writing to encourage gospel faithfulness. He wants Timothy to steward the ministry that he's been given. And this should be our prayer as well, that we would be faithful where we are, that we would be good stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that starts with every one of us taking inventory of our own hearts. Don't wait for me, right? Check your heart. Where are you fearful? What's holding you back? And as we all do this individually, we can collectively, as a church, be faithful. It means for some of you, you may need to identify sin and repent. For some of you, there may be areas not of commission, but omission, things that you, not things that you have done, but things you haven't done. One pastor said it this way, a new generation of Timothys is needed who will guard the sacred deposit of the gospel, who are determined to proclaim it and who are prepared to suffer for it and who will pass it on pure and uncorrupted to the next generation. I do pray that this will be our testimony in our way of life, that we will be faithful to guard and proclaim and pass on the hope of the gospel that is ours through Christ. For the sake of those who need to hear and for the sake of the glory of God, may we be faithful. Let's pray together.